Welcome everybody to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, D.B. Richards, alongside my sweet tea referee, Dave Keener. Hey, Dave. Hey, who am I firing here though? Because you, you just call me the sweet tea, but nobody got me sweet tea tonight. I mean, I got I got a water, that's fine, but... Drink your water. Yeah, but how can you call me the sweet tea but I don't need tea? But anyway, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Moving right along. Um... So, Dave Walker. Yeah, Dave Walker's on. Dave the, Walker's on the board tonight. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, going back and watching Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I heard of it. I remember guys like Larry Winners and Tony Stetson, Glenn Osborne, even legends like Jimmy Stuka and The Rock, Don Morocco, and even Hulk from Legion of Doom were on there. But even back when I watched it, there was another man that stuck out in my head. And we have that man on tonight's show. So we have Iron Man Tommy Cairo, an ECW original, an Eastern Championship Wrestling. So you're saying original, 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 original. original. Like We're doing a lot of originals. Back. So ladies and gentlemen, hey. say hi to Iron Man Tommy Cairo. Hello, Tommy. Hey, what's going on, guys? I was going to run right into like a, a little promo, but I'm, I'll wait a little bit. <laughs> oh, we would love to have you do a 20. 20- 300 promo after yeah yeah i came across recently if you look it up on youtube it'll say tommy cairo equalizer promo and then there is i believe with that or right around that where you'll find that you'll see that match uh, a match uh for frankie goodman usa pro wrestling in this building with you know the low ceiling that fell three times and you know um you're up there on the top rope like have to have your head inside the grid the ceiling grid you know you got to take the top out and him, him and I are up there and you'll see I take a nice dive outside the ring against the wall it's freaking awesome I watch it and I just laugh my ass off um, and I also cringe but it was at a time where my wife would say if you're still going to do this I don't want you cutting your, your head anymore so please don't so he would do the honors it would be a one way because <laughs> our matches were always a double door collar chain match you know balls count anywhere um, you know as I did with like Dick Dudley and uh, Frankie Goodman's USA Pro Wrestling after ECW. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, anything you guys want to ask me, any, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you whatever I got. I don't hold nothing back. I just don't try not to bam out to anybody unless I really don't like them. Like, um, like- I, re- I remember, um, God rest his soul, this guy's name was Tom Runsby. He ran shows uh, up, yeah. up in um, where Chad's running now. Up yeah, and way. up here where I live. Right up, up here where I live. Exactly. And I remember the church. Remember running the church? Yes, um, I ran the church. With, I ran... I worked for him and I ran um, I gotta tell you a story about that place okay, I see. ran uh, on my own also real quick before you get into the story so we're in the back and we're getting in the six man and it was me Maverick I was managing Maverick Norm and Bodacious what Norm Brad. is that the psychopath guy no, or something Norm the butterfly okay, okay. Um, so managing them and they do the tag match and they decide that they want the priest from the church. Right. Who, Father, who, uh, whatever the hell's name. A yeah. little short guy. Yeah, yeah. They wanted him in the match. So and we, he was a big mark, too. Right. He was a huge mark. He freaking loved it. So we put the priest over. What's his name? Right. Mark? No, I don't remember. But the whole church loved it. And I mean, literally, the ring was in this. This church was huge. Like, cathedral-sized church was huge. Yeah. yeah. But we put the priest over and everything else. And those were great shows. Those were fun shows. I was about 20 at the time when we did them. What's his finish? Really? Now, were you... Way. 
Were you there when he had the school in, it was in the um, tennis, well, the racquetball court, and then at one point it was in, you know, the building on Route 9 there. That's um, whatever that is now. Uh, Atlantic Care. It's been a gym for years. On Route yeah, 9 yeah, between yeah. me and, and, and Manahawk. And yeah. Um, and he had a, a ring in a little, they had a room in there. It was like a little gym, like a little mm-hmm. gymnasium. And he had, it was up on the second floor. He had the ring up there. And I, I did a show up there for, I did a lot of shows for Tom. I did <laughs> shows for him where that, um, that dinosaur is in Bayville outside on Route 9. There's a dinosaur, a green dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. And there, was a, there was a place there, the cowboy place. Remember the cowboy place? Mm-hmm. Had a big uh, old style cowboy was the sign. Out I mean, front. He, was, he was just talking about the Equalizer. The, and if you ever seen the Equalizer, this dude was huge. And the matches. That's, that's the guy, the guy I, work, I, work, I was talking about that I work with. Right, yeah, yeah. Paulie. Yeah, have you seen the matches between the Equalizer and Tom Renzi? Looked him up there. Not Tom Renzi. Tom Cairo, they were great matches. That's me, brother. Yep. And, and <laughs> listen, um, that promo you can pull that up is recently available. Tommy Cairo Equalizer promo, and that'll give you a little idea of the promos I cut. And uh, you know, I, I always try to be real. And my here was my problem with the, uh, in Frankie Goodman and ECW. They all did it the same way. So you're cutting the promo, looking at the camera, and everybody's looking at you. They're behind the camera, so you're trying to cut a promo and concentrate and everybody's standing there with their arms folded because, you know, Paulie wants to do this at like one o'clock in the freaking morning <laughs> and and they want you to be one and done so that everybody can go eat, you know, and God forbid, you you know, the pressure of trying of fucking it up and doing, having to do it two, three times and once you start going downhill and it ain't getting, it's hard to get back on track, right? you know, um, to make it right, you know, because you're disappointed in yourself, you know, people are waiting. So what I would do is I grabbed whoever was doing a camera and said, let go in here, an adjacent room, an empty room, anywhere. That's why you'll see the one I did. You know, uh, they call me in the, in the confines of, of my privacy, which I don't appreciate very much. I get so little of it, if you know what I'm saying. Being on the road day yeah. and night, oh, yeah. you know, and, 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 and the whole, and man, it's powerful. And I've had guys who know me and haven't seen some of that stuff uh, make remarks like, bro, that's fucking intense. And how I can engage in that is I'm going to tell you one guy that I saw that blew me away. That I never saw anybody so intense. Paul Orndorff. Mm-hmm. Back, back then, Paul oh, yeah. Orndorff. Yeah. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. You know, he was the guy that later on had that bad side. He got a, a bad nerve mm-hmm. and his whole one side like shrunk. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something about this dude. When he was doing his, you know, back when it was um, Jim Crockett promotions, when they were Florida Championship Wrestling, when it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, all throughout that time, um, the promos, you know, just just unbelievable you know? yeah um, who, was that? who was that I just mentioned I already forgot <laughs> see the funny, the funny thing is you mentioned all that we actually had Eric oh, Orndorff yeah I'm sorry yeah. Orndorff you were talking about he Paul Orndorff and all that he did a, a promo with a I guess he came out with his football helmet kind of thing you know to make the connection because apparently I don't even know what you know exactly what he did in football I'm not a big football fan but um, he was so friggin intense and jacked you know and not not jacked and like shaved and tanned but jacked Harry and Tan, and he looked freaking unbelievable, man. He looked, and his intensity, like without screaming and without shouting, it was almost similar to like a Jake the Snake slow burn intensity that you don't have to holler. You know what I mean? And those are the guys you got to look at. You know, you got to look at who were the guys that caught your eye. Well, 
who's well, yep, and who was one of the best promo guys ever? Superstar Billy Graham. Look at some of his nobody. He goes, I am you can see I am wearing the colors of autumn in remembrance of fall. I am draped in the colors of autumn. And he's like, I mean, the dude was just ahead, way ahead of his time. Physique wise, there was nobody ever be seen before that that looked like him. Nobody up to that point. And when he did a fucking promo, bro, he didn't have to do much else. He started the 24-inch pythons. That came from him. Oh, yeah. You know, Hogan says, you know, that he superstar Billy Graham was his guy, you know. Because um, it, it, from the story I heard from watching Billy Graham, that he was supposed to be the, the next Hulk Hogan. And he was supposed to be the whole yeah. thing. Before the accident, they were going to build yep. him up to be the next Hulk Hogan and everything else. And then he got in that really bad accident. And, then, and not only that, keep in mind, he would and was the first heel champion for the WWE. WF that lasted any length of time that wasn't a transitional champion like the Iron Sheet like Ivan Koloff uh, like Stan Stasiak if you know the history they were transitional meaning they dropped the title Bruno had had, had it he couldn't do the, the, the schedule anymore we want to drop that you know um, just just you know a different ball game because they always depended on their ethnic champion then we Bob Backlund was the first break in that mold because he wasn't a typical tough guy loudmouth he was a legitimate college trained wrestler who we've been used to that at that point with Bruno and Pedro as champions that our champion will fight fire with fire and he'll get down and nasty if he's got to and, but Bob Backlund was a departure from that Bob Backlund now we're going to try to go from uh, a guy that will fight fire with fire to a goody two shoes <clears throat> puppy guy that may not get over and they panic when they put uh, Graham in there um, and I don't know why they did um, I just think that traditionally up to that point, they didn't have a heel champion and they weren't going to bank on that uh, a Stone Cold type guy in that day and age would emerge. They just had no faith in it. You know what I mean? Um, and it's a shame because I think it would have been good. You know, now you reverse it. Now you got all the good guys trying to topple this nasty SOB and he's top king of the mountain and he's built like a brick shit house and he talks people into the building, you know? Um, you don't make guys like that anymore. They just, you know, and without running and running here's what I gotta say real quick to compare like today they say oh it's just such a shame for a long time all these indie guys all these promotions had to run with no audience I said it don't make no difference to these guys because there ain't one of these guys that goes by the way we did it was we have a loosely described put together match and then we go out there and if what we're originally planned doesn't sound seem like it sounds so good and we can't get the pop we're looking for we gotta know be able to change you know course but when you got everything planned and now you got to get your spots and he's got to get his spots. You're not feeding off the t the fans anyway. So these guys are not at a disadvantage yeah. because they're they're not they're not doing anything more but getting their shit in, you know. And when you're worried about doing six, seven, eight, boop, 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 and then you fuck one up anyway. Well, I could have, as a big, muscular, strong guy, kicked the guy in the gut, and he gives me my back, his back, and I could just take my time and raise my arm up and make a big noise when I come down. And smack him across the back, knock him down to the ground and put my knee in his back. I've done more than you did with seven, eight, nine moves in a, in a spot and half of them look like shit because instead of worrying about and executing what you're supposed to be doing, you're already got your mind on what's next and they're not feeding off the crowd because they don't train that way. Yeah. So there's no disadvantage without a crowd, you know, uh, which is a shame because if you can't, you know, Manny Fernandez, he said to me, what do you want to do? 
I would say to him, try to get a little more, you know, out of him, even though I knew that how he worked. He goes, how about this? Same, just like uh, Ernest Miller said in The Wrestler, same exact word. How about this? I'm the heel, you're the face. This is how we're going over. Get the ref. Ref, this is what we're doing. 11 minutes, boom. That's it. You go out there and, bro, if you don't start reading shit and, and catch up to speed with a guy like Manny, which is why we were married for two years. Because nobody else, everybody was deathly afraid of Manny. Because if you, a promoter brought Manny in and he wanted, Brewer wanted to put some young green guy over on Manny, and Manny didn't think the kid was worth it. The kid might get the win, but he'd get his ass whipped. <laughs> you know? right. And 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 the harder he hits you, if you don't at least receipt him once, you will never you know, he'll torture you. You know. So that's what I remember. You know, I remember Rocco Rock Ted Petty. You know, you know, I asked him. I said, I want you to freaking you know put me through it, man. And we did. I trained in the fucking heat on seaside boardwalk with the ring out in the sun and we had to wet the canvas every day because it would be like 120 degrees in the summer outside on the boardwalk by the beach training and then about why don't I let you guys ask me because I could just forget oh we're just listening oh my gosh legendary right there ask first question okay let's let's start let's start off let's start off with the first question I have here okay let's talk about your uh, training and your origin story oh wait let me ask you this first Real okay. quick, like, does anything go on here? Like, and who's you know, there ain't nothing but wrestling fans here in this, right? Yes, pretty much. Well, you know, I'm sitting out here. I'm 63 years old, and I'm going to smoke a bowl while we're while we're doing this because that's how I make it. Uh, you know, I'm crippled, getting worse, still in the gym, still in good shape, but that's what I I, I need to get by sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, just just enough to break the you know monotony of the constant aching and pain. I right. just for the record, I got two titanium hips. I got a two bars on my back, two replaced discs. Originally three, one popped out after 30 days. We left it out, went and took it out. Um, so, you know, and I got years and years of heavy, heavy lifting and heavy training. I do not take any medication, no pills, no... No, I take medication but for diabetes and other stuff. Uh, I'm fairly healthy. I got a good heart. I have a stent, um, but I've survived that with no... The blockage with no uh, uh, damage. And I'm a pretty healthy 205 ripped, you know, uh, like low body fat at 60 three years old. Awesome. So if all I'm doing, no liquor is a, a little bowl here and there. I see no harm, especially now that it's legal in Jersey and will be legal in my the state of my second home, my vacation home in Virginia. I think this month coming up. Nice, nice, nice. You know, it's a leftover habit from my youth. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah, I have no problem. My um, cousin grows in Colorado now. So, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. What's your first question? Oh, let's go into um, the beginning of your story. Your who trained okay. you and all that kind of stuff. Your little background. Right, well, little bit if, you want, if you want that, we have to start at uh, me being a wrestling fan by virtue of black and white television from uh, Washington, D.C., the Capitol Arena, okay. heavyweight wrestling from Washington, D.C. Antonio Pugliese, Bruno's kayfabe cousin, Keller Kowalski, you know, all the old the guys of that 60s era. So mind you, I'm born in 58. So in 66, I'm seeing my first wrestling on TV. At 10 years old, I go to my first live match, Newark Armory, to see Bruno San Martino and a whole host of everybody during that time. Baron Cicluna, Dominic Danucci, Victor Rivera, Bruno San Martino, Toro Tanaka, Mr. Fuji, uh, you name it. Chief J. Strongbow, you know, that 
that golden era um, and was a, a rabid fan. Um, I'm going to give you this real quick. So it's supposed to be tag team match coming up. There. They announced it last week and now it's coming up this week and they're about to announce the constituents. So it's whatever Baron Sakuna, King Curtis, maybe. I'm not sure. Or the opposing team. It's supposed to be Bruno and his kayfabe cousin, Antonio Pogliese, a.k.a. Tony Parisi. <clears throat> so obviously Bruno has not made it the flight. So Antonio Pugliese is in the ring. He's waiting. You know, Bruno, they announced Bruno has missed his flight. He will not be able to make it here tonight. We're sorry to say this match is canceled. Well, what happens? The heels put the boost to fucking Antonio Pugliese. What happens? Bruno comes in. From the airport. Bruno just got in from the airport. He's got like a suitcase with a shirt hanging out. He's got like his tie. <laughs> his tie is pulled down. And he, look at him. Bruno's in from the airport. He must have just came in. He comes in the ring. He storms the ring. Back and back to back. They beat these guys down. Well, I'm fucking screaming. I'm in my room watching a little 19-inch portable TV on a stand. The sandwich between the two twin beds in, in the bedroom. My mother comes running in. What's the matter? I'm like, Bruno. She's, oh my God, you're driving me crazy with this freaking crap. She goes, let me call your uncle. She calls my uncle. She goes, I can't fight it anymore. The kid's constantly, anytime that is on, he's watching it. He's screaming, jumping up and down. Apparently, he's a big fan of Bruno. My uncle says, all right. And he went and got tickets. Took me to Newark Armory to see my first live show at 10 years old. My uncle's got me on his shoulders and my uncle was all of 5'5". So me, a little kid 10 years old on my uncle's shoulders, I was a little bit over Bruno. Bruno was walking back and I patted him on the back and he actually turned around and looked up at me. And I was like, that, that was it. Bruno was this freaking guy, you know? Um, and all right, so then from there, let's just say this. I got into bodybuilding. I was a junior Olympic national champion in weightlifting. Traveled the whole country. Went to the junior Olympics three years in a row. Tulsa, Oklahoma, sent by the town in junior Olympic weightlifting, clean and jerk in the snatch. And from there, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. I got into bodybuilding. I competed at the highest level in, on the nationals without turning pro, okay? When I was in the midst of my bodybuilding career, I got a chance to see some live wrestling in Seaside on the boardwalk. It was owned by none other than Gary Capetta. Parents, family owned the, the, the pier. That wrestling was being run by Eastern Wrestling Alliance, Jimmy Ryan and Dennis Galam. And who was their trainer? Ted Petty Rocco Rock. So I went to see a live match. Now, I tried to call them. They dissed me on the phone, right? I show up with a, with a tank top on. So there wasn't supposed to be a meeting. They dissed me on the phone, right? So I, I seen an article in Wrestling Eye that Carmine DeSpirito was involved in. And it had a phone number of the Eastern... No, it just said Eastern Wrestling Alliance and the town. And I just called information and I got got the number. And I called up and they must have just figured this is a Mark kid. Back then, you didn't just make a call and go to school. You know what I mean? It didn't work that way. So I show up with a tank top on after just competing in bodybuilding. I'm still in shape. Actually, more jacked because I'm bigger now, you know. And I see them staring and looking over and pointing at me, right? So that night, I watched the matches, and one guy stood out. was a masked guy, Mad Max or something. It was actually Teddy. So they approached me. They go, hey, hey, man, wow, you're in good shape. I go, thanks. They go, did, you ever, did you ever think about wrestling? I'm like, yeah, I did think about it. I called you fucking guys and you treat me like a jerk off 
They're like, what? She looked at me because I was no joke, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was I, I was a tough motherfucker and I was strong and I'll just toss you on your ass. I don't have to know shit about any. So, you know, they were really, really nice because now they saw what I looked like and they had nobody that looked like me. And they certainly had nobody who could go in the ring the first day and take bumps. So I started training with Teddy. Well, they go, we got a training center. Do you think you'd be interested? I go, well, I'll be honest with you. There's only one guy tonight I think that could teach me anything. Because I was a martial artist. You know, I did. I wrestled the amateur. You know, I was a bodybuilder. I was strong, agile, quick. So I said, really, there's nobody that tonight that I would take training from except for that mask guy. And they brought me back and introduced me to Ted Pet. And then that's how it started. I trained with Teddy. Um, we trained uh, for a while uh, at a specific spot, a weekly, twice, three times. And then I would go by myself with another guy and just roll around. Then after about six months, um, we started training. I started going with him with a ring truck. Davey G was David Giggled, who was the masked Russian, and Danny was a partner of his, and they had a truck and a ring, and I went around for about another six months uh, setting up the ring with Teddy, mostly, and once in a while with uh, another guy, uh, the uh, masked Russian guy, or is his partner, and then he said, he cut us loose and said, I want you to take the schedule for the summer, you and David G, take the truck and go make the shots. If you got time to come home, you come home. And what I'm paying you, you should be able to stay in a, you know, relatively inexpensive hotel every night um, but you know you're going to do this loop off in New England I worked with Brian Walsh I don't know if you know Brian Walsh an old nature boy Brian Walsh was an old uh, New England indie guy who definitely worked for Vince did some shots here and there great great worker um, and I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about him was uh, we swapped the title uh, back and forth over three nights um, and so when we came back to the locker room when I had won it initially and then he I was going to drop it back to him. I came back and I laid the belt on the bench by his, his bag. And he comes over. He goes, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? He goes, take that belt and get grab the photographer. Go back by. In the back, there's a wall. It's like a brick wall. Stand here and take 50 fucking pictures with the belt. And he's like, anytime you get this opportunity, regardless of what it's a work, it's this, that, you got that belt. We're going to use that for pictures in Wrestling Eye magazine, whatever. You always do make sure you do that. If you've been wanting a, a, a title and however gimmick it is, doesn't matter. Matter. I thought enough of you to do that. You make sure you get yours when you're there. I was like, wow, you know, the guy, the guy was really cool. You know, yeah. um, so uh, you know, basically from there, um, it just snowballed. I met the Savoldis. No, the Savoldis. Tom Fernini came down to to see Teddy and Gary Capetta is the ring announcer for WWF and WCW. Owned that pier, so they all knew each other. When he came down, he goes, "Hey, kid," he goes, "Come over here." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Listen, here's what I want you to do. Take this number down. I want you to come to East Lime, Connecticut. I'm going to give you a hundred bucks." I'm like, "To do what?" He goes, "What are you talking about? To do what? What the fuck are you doing?" I go, "I'm I'm I'm training. I'm I'm, I'm just training." He goes, "Don't you?" worry about it. you come up there to East Lime, Connecticut you're gonna work but okay you know I was a short timer at that point yeah. I go up there who do I work with Colonel De Beers somebody tell me who that really is what's his name does anybody know uh, too young I think I'm too young yeah Ed Wiskoski okay very very accomplished um he just uh, I didn't know to take anything about taking any offense I was just there like the old time typical you know um uh, what do you call it you know scrub um jobber at a time where there were still jobbers when I really didn't have to be already by the way I looked and then I could work um I didn't know that so I just did what he told me to do and he basically boop 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 no offense put me in the uh he did like a what's the movie you drop down to your knees inverted whatever the fuck you call that uh 
not a pile driver. Anyway, um, supposedly banned, moved, and I you know, just took it and laid there and, you know, went to the back. He goes, good, good. You did a good job. Because it was very loose and he just told me, just listen out there. And, you know, that's what Ted Petty mostly. And and I don't know if you guys know who Bobby Bold Eagle is. He was an all-time trainer, international wrestler. I think I heard of him. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he had a training center underneath Gleason's training center in a freaking car garage parking. And he had a corner and we trained in there. Sunny Beach, another name that goes way back. I say, uh, I trained there with a young Jason. You know who Jason was from ECW, right? Yes, yes. A young Jason who was a Sting lookalike. He was 140 pounds. He had a high top blonde <laughs> hair, Sting tight and Sting boots, which were basically an engineer's boot, high top. Okay. Had a little V V cut in the top with a little strap that went across and then they just made a K-Fave wrestling boot out of it on the bottom. Um, and that was how people made a lot of shit in the beginning when you couldn't call up some company and say make me custom wrestling boots you had uh, B&A boot shop um, and Gary Capetta who knew um, you know when that Fornini uh, Savoldi came down and booked me for that show he said you got boots I go no not right now he goes here's this address here's a hundred dollar bill God's honest truth best guy in the world Gary Capetta he says trace your foot on a piece of paper and send it to this B&A boot shop Paris Arkansas that's where everybody for the most part, except for the company that made those Texas-style boots, they were the only show in town. Okay. And gave me two other addresses. One was for ABC Photo, so you could get a lithograph. You didn't get pictures. They were considered a lithograph. Okay. I don't know the exact term for that, but that's what you got. ABC Photo, because you can get them very reasonable. The other one was K&H. Who's K&H? Carl and Hildegard. They made 90% of every ring jacket, pants, trunks, under trunks. They used to make two kinds of trunks, a pair for the outside. There was a pair that you wore instead of a, a jock, or you could wear a jock, and the under ones, and then the over ones. So they were made slightly smaller than the standard trunk to go underneath. And people don't even know this shit. You know, that's how it was back then, man. You know, um, there wasn't 15 companies. There wasn't thousand schools. You know, you're lucky if there was five places in the whole of the country and Canada where you could get trained. So what else? <laughs> oh, well, was... the evolution from there was lots of things. You know, it was. Uh, get hooked up with somebody who mentioned Todd Gordon, go up there, performed in front of him with little Guido and did a match where everybody thought I killed him on a powerbomb at the end, but he knew how to tuck his chin. I dropped him down. It looked like I killed him. I guess the, the joke is on them because they were like, oh, look at this. You know, like, you know, like I really, I fucked the guy up. I'm like, you know what the fuck you're talking about? Uh, if you can tuck your chin all the way to your chest, you really can't get, it's kind of hard to break your neck. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, from there, just, you know, uh, Todd loved me. Boom. We got a standing ovation, our first match against each other. Little Greedo, I took him around with me to a lot of indies. If somebody booked me and they didn't, I asked him, you got me booked yet? Well, who do you want to work with? I say, I got this guy. I'll bring him. And, you know, I did that with various people over the years, you know? Um, and, and that way you could control. Because I'm going to tell you this is I tell a young guy today. You know, you hear people say, well, whatever the promoter says, you got to do it. He's the boss. Bullshit. You know what I say? There's a bunch of jabronis running shows that don't even deserve to call themselves promoters. So here's how you gauge whether or not you want to do something that you're asked if you're not sure. Is your pedigree, meaning where you were trained and who you're trained by, trump this other guy's? 
And almost anybody should know that, okay? It's Joe Jabroni or it's Shawn Michaels. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, that that's really the, the, the way it goes. You don't have to listen to any harebrained idea that some possibly one-and-done jerk-off is going to run a show and take you who've been trained by somebody of renown and you've already proven yourself. You've, by that point, you shouldn't even have a question about how and what you should do according to who you're being told or asked by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's very, very important because what if you can't just do anything? What if people what do you want? What you do is stupid. You, you, what, what, you sell yourself for what most of these kids are selling themselves for fucking hot dogs and, and sodas anyway. Yeah. You know, listen, I'm going to tell you something. This is God's honest truth. I started, I had my first match in 86. I never got less than a hundred bucks back then. The low guy. Okay. Because I went in right. I wasn't going to be six foot two. So I made sure at five, nine, I was 250, 240. Okay. There was never any question when a 260 me picked up Alex Rizzo, big Dick Dudley. You didn't see us in the ring and go, what's that guy doing in there with him? Because I was just as wide as I was tall. Unlike kids today who, you know, most of them, you can't tell the difference between them and some kid in the fucking mall and they're, and they're, they're workers. Now, super talented guys, great. But if you are of smaller stature and you've been given a chance in a business and you're not working out, I'm not saying you got to be on steroids, on a gas. I'm not saying you got to follow a regimented weight yeah. bodybuilding. But you, if you're not in shape and you're skinny fat, I think it's your fucking, it's horrible. I think if we don't keep some standard, it's bad enough enough everybody looks like a cookie cutter. Why? Because 50 guys are going to two different people that make costumes and everybody's shit is like, okay, how many configurations of sequins and shit, you know, can can we have? You know, uh, it, it makes it where you almost stand out now if you look sparse. If you have the black boots and the green, dark green tights and no knee pads and no arm pads, you know, elbow pads, knee pads, you know, so it's it's re-evolving, I believe. Listen, how many have you ever seen in the last bunch of years so many big overweight tag team guys? And when I say overweight, I do not mean anything negative because I saw a couple guys on The Fly, maybe it was, or one of these, um, they were something bears. Or bear, I don't know, bear country. Bear Bear country, yes. Bear country. I love those guys, man. Yes. Those guys are awesome. Look at, the, who's the guy with all the tattoos with the long hair? Brody, not the one that died. There's a Brody Lee and a Brody King. Yeah. You, you don't know either one of them? Brody, one of Brody King is, yeah. Brody Quinn. Oh, well, yeah, 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 Brody King. Yeah, Brody King, Let me That guy is fucking dynamic. Why? Because he's not the chiseled, stereotypical reproduction cookie cutter. Yeah. 190 to 210 wrestler with a fancy fucking outfit. You know what I mean? So it, it now you got to go in the reverse to re-educate and dumb down the shit that we've got has gotten out of control. You know, it's got to take more than flip-flopping around a ring like a fucking ping-pong ball or a Mexican jumping bean. People have to, you know, the stuff has to register. You know, if you're just making a transition so quick that you don't sell the move you're doing and forsake it to get to the next one that you don't sell because you're forsaking that for the next one. It, it just becomes like a spot fest. And you're like, this does not look like anything anybody would even remotely consider 
consider, you know, legitimate or rough, rough and tumble. You know, it's just a little too much, you know. Um, See, I go back and, and I, I look at guys like Matt Cross. Matt Cross is cool. all of five foot three, five foot five. I just something watched like that. It. Right. But he can do it all. Yes. Same, same thing with all scenarios. I was thinking yeah, they, 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 they may be mind? small, but yep. they can work. Ray Mysterio but, is five foot three, and nobody else can work like Ray Mysterio has. I was going to say, no. all scenarios when you were talking, Paul, reading my, my mind, stop it. It's my favorite vegetarian. Yes, it is my favorite vegetarian. <laughs> vegan, vegan, vegan. Vegan, sorry, vegan. Vegan. Favorite vegan. Killer Kowalski was a vegan. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yep. I don't, I don't believe in it. I got to eat meat, man. No, I, I love yep. my bacon. I, I got... Yep. Well, look at, well, look at Killer Kowalski. He was not a big, muscular guy. Really, <laughs> I mean, his hands were, were like gigantic, you know. Yeah, um, two but of mine. Listen, you want to freaking laugh, bro? Watch the match with Bruno against Killer Kowalski when they both had wig. You were, it is hysterical. All you gotta do is Google Bruno versus Killer Kowalski until you find they both got wigs and they're both trying to hold on to them while they must be forgetting that they each have wigs and they keep grabbing and then uh, the other guy's trying to hold it on his head so it's a walk. <laughs> it's hilarious, bro. You gotta say it. Um, anyway, where were we? So, oh, the state of the business. I like these bigger guys. How about who's the um, Samoan kid? Which one? There's um, yeah, there's like twenty five um, of them. I mean, yeah, no, no, I don't mean I don't mean of the S- Samoan dynasty. Samoan He's by, no, no. He's a newer guy He's by himself. Cobb, Jeff Cobb. Oh, Jeff Cobb. Oh, Jeff Cobb. Yeah, oh, I amazing. love Jeff. Cobb. I love him. I think he's great. I saw him the first time in House of Hardcore Tommy's own promotion. And I yeah, so I, you know, as you can see, I'm 63 and I come from a different era. But I know who's out there. And I see enough on YouTube because I honestly, except for I got a couple channels that air some old shit that I'll watch, but I can watch that on YouTube. So why do I why don't I pull it up on the TV? You know, <laughs> I wind up watching you know the old Southwest and stuff that from when I was a kid. I, and found, I do come across that. I found the old when ECW was on Sports Center America, three yep, o'clock in the morning. Sports Channel America. Sports yep. Channel America, three o'clock in the morning, and all I saw was Sandman and the surfboard. <laughs> Yeah, that was some goofy gimmick, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a hand a hand painted shorty wetsuit, oh, and that's what he wore. I, I, I don't remember what he wore on his feet at that point. I think he was still wearing um, actual wrestling boots. And at yeah. one point, he had what looked like a girl's bodysuit with like a zipper on in the chest. It was the weirdest thing. I don't know what the hell he where he got that thing. Um, but yeah, probably. Yeah. So all right, any other what other specifically? I mean, that's pretty much brought you up. And you know, I went to Japan. You, you can ask me. You know my history, so you can pick yeah. and choose whatever. Oh, I mean, there, there's what, what you hit on already. Yeah, I had to go yeah, run yeah, in there yeah. and real quick. No, you just talk, talked about his history all through and talked about things. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, yeah, go ahead. Okay, let's uh, let's give us a um, ECW arena story. All right. Well, I, I, I not so much a story. I'll give you what the whole vibe and what the truth is. All right, and believe me when I tell you, I'll I will tell you the truth, and most of it is not what the history tells okay and uh, that will be my basically my ECW story Um, I was doing great when Eddie Gilbert I was doing great before but when it was still uh, Eastern and we were in the Philadelphia Sports Bar my first few shows it was still you know just Todd Gordon just coming off of Tri-State so all those people were still around you mentioned a few guys earlier there was so many different obscure guys we 
had a fucking wolf band. We had a sailor. We had everybody and anybody. And then, you know, all the other older guys mixed in. Ivan Koloff put me over so graciously a couple of times, even in a, 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 a chain match. Um, but what happened was I, I, I got there. They liked me. I was being used. Eddie Gilbert came in, continued to use me, sometimes to his benefit, but he treated me good and put this, you know, came, came, the, the, the Pennsylvania Heavyweight Championship. The minute Paulie came, I, things started going downhill. And when I tell you, this is the, the truth. They took two people to replace me, Tommy Dreamer and Taz, who were nowhere near developed in character or anything at that point. Tommy Dreamer couldn't even have, figure out the first five times how to properly use a blade and couldn't cut a promo to save his fucking life. All right? And that's the truth. So when Paulie came, he pulled in. I was being touted as, you know, eight old various suplexes. and didn't say we're at that point the masters or whatever, but it was like, with, you know, various 12 different suplexes. Like, and then all of a sudden Taz came in and all of a sudden that was gone. Uh, Tommy Dreamer came in and they took me and the Sandman when we still had legs, you know, out and put Tommy Dreamer in. So Paulie systematically took me out. And the first time it happened, he, went, he put me with Chad Avis. Here I was just in the main events and now you got me putting Chad Avis over. Uh, no, nothing against Chad, but it was definitely out of character and it was definitely a sign. And his answer to me, which tells you it was bullshit, is, well, you had your run, so it's time. No, I didn't. You know, you, you made me into a stupid character, a construction character when I had my own thing already. The fact is, I had a better looking and, and nice, cooler gimmick than anybody. I had the chaps and the, and the leather jacket before anybody else was wearing it. I had the fucking uh, leather uh, do-rag cap thing, you know, and I was built, you know. Um, so, it, it, other than, you know, uh, Eddie Gilbert taking good care of me, um, when the falling out came between him and Paulie, and Doug Gilbert almost killed Paul, um, they walked out. And, um, you know, I, I, I felt that if he stayed, they made such a big deal out of what Paulie did. We were doing 12 and 1500 with Eddie Gilbert. I got news for everybody. And not only that, um, he didn't invent anything. He directly got everything from FMW, which was doing it way before ECW. So it's, they make him out to be like this messiah. And I think it's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> I really do. I, I think it's just like anybody else. When you get a certain amount of power, you no longer do what's best for all. You do what you want. Like you say, well, this man doesn't make sense. Guess what? It doesn't have to make sense. He's the boss. And he will do shit just to amuse himself, regardless of whether it's the best thing for business or not. When you get drunk with power, that's what you do. So, you know, that's my story. I, I left with animosity because I didn't want to. And it just put Angel and I together, Angel Amoroso. And I think we could have we could have run with it. But I was really, really, really hurt. And I'll go on record and it could be found on tape. Did a running spin. Tommy Dreamer was supposed to catch me. Instead, he moved out of the way. Landed on my back on the floor, busted my spine up. Never, never was the same afterwards. Not so fucking good. Okay. Another incident. I'm supposed, we're supposed to catch him from, you know, we're outside battling, whatever tag team it was. He's supposed to come flying over the top. Well, dude, you gotta wait for us to finish what we're doing outside. You just can't decide it's time to fly and we're not ready. And we had to turn around and basically got blasted in the face with a boot because last minute he decides while we're still scrapping outside, it's not your cue yet until we stop and look to you, get you to run out so we can catch you. So you fucked up a bunch of shit and all of a sudden you're like this 
big fucking big shot. I'm like, I don't want to talk about too many people, but I'll tell you, I think, I don't know how. He stole what could have been my career, but guess what? I had the last laugh because, yes, he's, he's alive and he didn't turn into a drug addict, but so many other people are, and I was in with the mix with everybody else, so God only knows if I'd have went in a different direction, I may not have got out. So I'm grateful. I don't have any everlasting animosity, but I do get pissed off when I'm left out of some of the history, um, and they want to go on and make these videos and leave out half the guys that made the company. Um, it's a little annoying, you know. One of the reasons but, why we try to bring you guys on and bring you back right. on and tell you, tell people the stories. I appreciate that, and that's why I felt it was worth it. That's probably the last. I don't really have much negative to say about hardly anybody. That's about the extent of it. But I will say this. There were a lot of guys, not a lot, there were a handful of guys who thought they were badass. And I'll tell you what, when I was in that locker room, I can honestly tell you, there was nobody better than me. Not one fucking guy. Not one guy. Not a Taz who's a punk. Uh, I think Sabu thought he was fancy himself as a, a, a kind of a tough guy and made a comment. I got flooded in my hometown, couldn't get out. I knew it was going to be late, so I just aborted. And I was supposed to work him last minute. I only knew for a week or so. And he made a comment like, oh, you're afraid to work with me. Or I go, bro, I'll slap the fucking shit out of you right here. I go, you know, <laughs> I, I don't play. I came from fucking North New Jersey. You know what I mean? You know, when you see the Sopranos, they didn't, we did this shit in the 70s and 80s. We, we, we were robbing drug dealers. We were robbing drug dealers at gunpoint. We don't fuck around. We, you know, there's no bullshit. When I tell the stories I tell, you know what people say? You cannot make that up. There's no twisted mind that can make that fucking story up. So that's the way, I mean, I was a bodyguard and a bouncer in New York City. You know, I, I've been seeing death many times. I, I, I've seen it all. I've been through drug addiction, diabetes, and depression. I beat depression was the, the, the strongest evil force I've ever uh, 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 encountered. And at one time, I was in recovery from my drug use, and I was in depression at the same time. And I went to a meeting, and they said to me, how do you feel? Like, do you feel like, are you getting high? Do you feel like getting high? I go, you want to know something? I'm so fucking depressed. I don't even want to. I go, no, that's fucking depressed. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I'm only here to, to tell tell the truth. I love the business. I'm not bitter. I had my, my, my time. I got a nice little piece of history. When it's told accurately and when I'm given the proper credit. And guess who gave me a lot of that credit back? And I got to give him that is Paul. In a WWE article, where are they now? On WWE.com, whatever the fuck it is, all his statement was that I was one of the most popular wrestlers on the East Coast at the time. You would have thought that it was me that was getting the push but it was actually the Sandman's time to shine. And that's how he nicely put it about taking me out of the program. <laughs> you know, but, you know, so I got to give him that. At least that's on record, you know, um, for whatever it's worth. Oh, yeah. But I'll take, I'll take it. And I'll also take the fact that my footage of all my ECW stuff, a lot of it has been seen on WWE 24-7 for many years now. And I have new fans who I still get, I get cards and letters and envelopes, self-addressed stamped envelopes with pictures of me ass around the world out of the country Canada here and again I'm every month I get a hand um, and it's just kids who've watched me do what I did in 90, in the 90s now on a network that people were like oh and you get you get royalties I'm like oh fucking royal seriously I'm I'm glad that they give a shit or anybody gives a crap about something I did in the 90s so for whatever money you might have gotten if you did sign a release what you know whatever what, what, what could it be it's not going to make me rich table of five 
Okay. Say it again. Table of five. You're the fifth person at the table. Put anybody from the Eastern Championship Wrestling sit at your table. Who would Do they have to be alive? Live, dead, whoever. Sal Palomo. <laughs> the best. Yes, Sal was great. The best. Here's what I remember. Call me. Call me. That's how he called me. Bro, let me tell you something. My heart aches that I didn't get to see him before he passed, as well as my heart aches for cousin Luke, Gene Pettit, because we were super tight. He took great care of me, and I didn't see him in his failing years, and I regret that to this day. So that I will not repeat that again. Like, that fact that we got all these guys are coming to this thing, and I, I want to be honest, and I want to tell the truth. There's guys that are coming to this that are coming because of the history of that building who are not from any recent era that are still alive. How many times did they come out for shit? It's only because of the history of that building that they're coming out, and how many times will these guys be gathered again before someone else dies? It's being honest. Look, yeah. Johnny I mean, Rods, was... Johnny Rods, Davey O'Hara. How long do you think these guys are going to be around? Yeah. You know, you know who I think is still alive is uh, Dominic Danucci still alive. He's going to be there. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, I, I'm going because although they're you know before me, they're those guys were at the end of their careers when I started. Dominic Danucci, Baron Secluded, they were still working in '86. So when I broke in, these were the guys I, I met. So here I am, face to face with guys who I once thought were legit. <laughs> You know, and it's like, I was tickled to death. I'm like, quick Bruiser Brothers story, one and only time. Yeah. And I was with him in the ring, his last American appearance before he went to Puerto Rico. And that was in Wildwood Convention Hall. <laughs> he was flying out that night. We met. I went into one of the side dressing rooms, not knowing he was in there. And as soon as I saw him, I said, oh, excuse me. And I tried to duck out. He goes, no, 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 bro. You come in here. You sit with me. I said, okay. Well, we we got along fabulous. But he told me, he goes, bro, I'm fucking shot. He goes, I think, yeah. He goes, I got one shot left, I'm going to Puerto Rico, and then I'm going home. Well, guess what? He never fucking made it. That was the trip. And he was so mm. gracious. He goes, bro, he goes, how long have you been working? I said, only a few months. He goes, when did they tell you to go out in the Battle Royal? I go, they told me to go out. Second, he goes, you stay in with me. You knock me out. I don't give a fuck what happens. You stay there. Eventually, the guys, whatever number they were, will have to go. I'll take the heat from the promoter. I was like, what? <laughs> Second from the end. I was something like that. I wasn't the, I wasn't the last guy, but I was the last guy before Bruiser Brody went out. I took him out and then they took me out. But I was long, supposed to have been long gone. So I get in the back and it's exactly what I said. I think it was like, I was in here three left and I said, you told me wait, we wanted the last three guys. No, we told you to go out third. <laughs> And, and and he was like right with no he goes oh, no 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 I heard you it was the best man what a fucking guy um, oh, he so just great. wanted me to take him out he goes I, I want to go out and I I learned what he meant I couldn't understand like I thought you know for me if I could stay in it, it looked good not knowing that the more experienced guys wanted to get out of there as soon as they could so they didn't have to get involved with a bunch of fucking jabronis who were added to the mix because they couldn't put them on the regular car because the promoter can't say no, right? So now you're in. Here's the biggest thing, and they probably don't even teach this anymore. Until the last couple guys, nobody take a bump. When the ring is full with 20 guys, you never take a fucking bump. Because some 400-pound bastard that sold 30 tickets to get on a show, was trained for an hour, is going to fall on you and break your femur. (laughs) 
So that's what they, the old guys were, the more experienced you are, the quicker you want to get the fuck out of there. Because there is no $20,000 check. The gate was only 6000 So where do you think they're getting that money from? You know, so it just becomes kind of stupid. And as you get higher in, 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 you know, in the card and you get more experience, you're like, no, nah, I don't want to, I, I don't want to do the battle wall. You know, unless you're trying to, unless you're trying to use it to crown a champion, then if they're putting you over as champion, then you got to fucking last through all, all these guys, you know, and it's usually a recipe for disaster. You know? I am, I'm not a fan of uh, battle royals. Well, it depends no, on the I battle mean, royal. Yeah. I, I think no matter what, if you've got more than like a four man tag team, if you got any more than that, like the first couple guys got to go out like right off the bat. You know what I mean? Boom, boom. Two, three people go right out. My, you know? my only issue with a battle royal ever was sitting in the back and I'm getting dressed, got managed somebody and I hear somebody go, okay, we're going to do duck three, take down back body drop, clothesline. Right. Like in a battle royal? Yeah. No, there's no spots <laughs> in a fucking battle royal. <laughs> And then, you know, you know what the experienced guys do to get out you lay on each other in a corner, throw a couple shots in, reverse me, spin me in a corner, throw a couple shots in, and then you walk over, you club some other guy, and then you walk over and you throw a guy out. You know, there's really don't do more than one or two things, and it's usually a punch or a kick or, you know. Right. I can so. understand if there's only like four or five in the battle royal at the end. That's when you do the spots. Right. But yeah. if you got a 30-man battle royal and you still got 22 men in there, there's no, no reason to do a full spot shot. Was that? No. Was that? Nick or um, I think Nick, Nick Burke talks about that. Yeah, yeah, that was his rib. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love Nick Burke. He so worked I, for me when I had um, Force One. Okay, and he had the gimmick where he shaved out part of his head so he looked like he was three quarters bald. Right, <laughs> so he shaved out a, right down to the skin, and then the other part that was left would, would look like a guy who just had that ring that those guys have was grown in a little, and he would come in with a wig, and he goes, "Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I just blew in, and boy, my arm." <laughs> Tired, Nicky you know, Benz. That kind of shit. Nicky Benz. Let me tell you something. It was yeah. I. Oh my he god. Was the best. It, it was. He was the best. The, yeah. the, the wig and everything else that Nick had was great. He would come out and he would sing Neil Diamond and get booed for it. He yep. was the Las Vegas. Um, he was the Tony. What Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton. Yeah, Tony, Tony Clifton. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. 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 Very talented kid. Very talented kid. Yeah, what happened? What's he doing now? Yeah, I just had him on. Really? Is he still working? Some, Somewhat, yeah. We were talking about, yeah. we, we had Nick Burke do one of the shows for Maverick at the old school that we ran at, and Nick what? Burke came late, and we really didn't have anything for him, and he goes, you know what? Here's what we'll do. We're like, what? And he's like, I'm going to work the Invisible Man. So he came out, and he did the Invisible Man bit, and uh, Oh, that's awesome. and now there's a, there's a guy that is not selfish. No. There's a guy that said, I'm here and I love wrestling and I'm going to do something. So you got to appreciate that, man. I mean, listen, if we were doing it for the money, how many people would fucking be doing it? You know what I mean? Right. So I mean, it, it, between it, Nick Burke and Johnny Cashmere and <sighs> God rest Trent Acid, those guys, Devin yep. Moore, Drew Blood, yep. Frankie Picard, yep. you know, all those yep. guys who are legends in the indie who are still wrestling today. Yep. And I mean, I, I saw Drew a couple weeks about a month ago, and I walked up to him and I looked. I said, Drew, were you always that short? He's like, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> but, but if we can rib on our friends and our family while we're sure. doing this stuff, then that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it's funny because, like, I had 
these I had kids kids pegged back when we ran our stuff. I knew what guys were going to make it, and we were known for using the underutilized guys, whether it was stupid politics and, and indie wrestling in New Jersey. I broke the mold and I stopped all that shit. Because when I started running, I had 20 years experience, or, or, or close to it when I first started, I had maybe 15 years in. And you weren't going to trump me, because I, I, if I don't, at, at a point when I was at my peak, and even to this day, um, if you claim to have worked back anywhere time in 20 year span, um, and you say you don't know me, um, you and, and you claim to be this, that, or the other, you're full of shit. And it's amazing how many people who I knew who were part of what we did all of a sudden have this wrestling career that they talk about that I know pure and simply does not exist. Okay, and I'll tell you who's one of I don't want to do that. I can't. <laughs> but um, there are people out there who I know they know I know better because first of all there's an internet so anything that you claim what it would be corroborated somewhere if you did anything to great extent am i wrong so how do you think you how do you think you get away with saying shit on facebook about well last time i laced up the boots bro you ain't never laced up the boots what the fuck are you talking about where did this career come from and and when and where did these people get trained that they are working for the last time i didn't know you worked at all it's it's really funny you know years ago you couldn't you, you, you couldn't get away with that and now you can't either because it's a matter of the data is out there the information right. is out there so I, I, I really wonder if some people have some real issues and when I talk to somebody who knows one of those people and we, we laugh we're like when did this happen and they're like they laugh they're like I know you know um, and there's a guy who claims to be a relative of a, a big name in wrestling and I would never shit on the guy because I kind of feel sorry for some of these people I think some of them are definitely just fucked up, delusional, you know. Um, others, I guess, think nobody knows any better or they're pathological liars. I don't know how else to explain it, you know. But I know if somebody says to me, oh, I know a guy in the business. He was just that and the other. And you tell me who it is and I don't fucking know the name, pretty much that's probably bullshit because I've been following this shit since the 50s. <laughs> well, since the 60s. So, um, and, and, and not to jump all over the place, but I am looking for someone who can answer a question for me that I have never ever been able to get answered. And the question is, years ago in the WWWF on television, black and white from Washington, D.C., there was a guy called the Happy Kangaroo. And he came out to that song, Tie Me Kangaroo Down. Sport. And he would, what's that? Tie Me, can, tie me Down. Tie Me Kangaroo Down. Sport. Right. Yes, exactly. And nobody knows who he is. And here's, he was one of the first tweeners. And guess what? He was one of the first guys to have music that I remember because he came out to that song and he came out and he was a thin kind of lean guy and the funny thing about it is he was like a mid-card guy that they put over on baby faces so that was they didn't do that back then so I have yet to find anybody who claims to be an expert in able and I cannot find anything online I've looked Hey baby, I got a new pit bull box, uh, pit bull boxer mix. Oh, nice, nice, nice. A rescue, a rescue. Yeah, she's deaf. Oh wow, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I looked it up. I can't find anything. I found the kangaroos tag team. Right. Yep. Okay. That's Al Kent. Yeah. Uh, Al Don Kent, Al um, Costello, and Roy Heffernan. Right. Were the three guys. Then there was the Royal Kangaroos with right, Sir Jonathan Boyd and and. Uh, what was the other guy's name? So Jonathan Boyd was one, and then Luke and Butch are 
Um, I forget their names, or what their real names are. But no, it's none of those guys. Um, wow, so that, that is the Bushwhackers. Wow. They yeah, this guy. They were kangaroos? They were the, the fabulous kangaroos. Oh, really? Yep. I thought they were yeah. kangaroos. No, this is a single wrestler, and he was called the Happy Kangaroo. Happy kangaroo. And he came out to that song, Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. Um, and I cannot find anything anywhere. And nobody who claims to be a, 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 you know, a historian has been able to answer that question. I didn't imagine yep. it. I know, I know the guy exists. Well, I found the fabulous kangaroos, but that's it. Do you think Bill Hapner will know it? Maybe. He might. And you know what I did? I even looked in the history of Capital Sports, and they have every card that they ever have recorded. And I looked through every one in that time frame, and I could not find anything, but I found the Ox, who, guess what, was there at the same time Ox Baker, Ox Baker was there. Him, yeah. But there was an Ox, who was not Ox Baker, who also wrestled around the same time. So that's confusing. Right. But well, I like, cannot people find have, that like, gimmicks. There's some people that have the same gimmicks. Like, I know that there's, um, who's the two guys that we know? Mike Dell. Like, yeah. there's two Mike Dells in the area. Yes. Right. Two Mike Dells, um... Wasn't there, um, like, people have the same gimmick, same name. Well, yeah, listen, you know what that's like? How about this? Anthony Rocca and Argentina Apollo. Right. Same gimmick. Yeah. Okay? Two different guys, same gimmick. Carl Von Hess, Carl Von, there, there's a couple of them that are, are, are very similar. Who about this? How about this one? Ivan Putski and Mighty Igor. They had the same gimmick with the same long underwear bottoms cut into shorts and a long underwear top cut into a tank top and shoes that were not wrestling boots. They both did that and they both used toys and acted like little overgrown kids. Both had the same gimmick around the same time. That's funny. You know, look at the Nature Boys. I mean, how many of your Nature Boys going back to uh, the, origi- the original the original Yeah, but going back to who was Buddy Rogers. Buddy you Rogers, know, you Buddy, had, Buddy Landell. Buddy Landell, you had Roger Kirby. Roger yeah. Kirby, Nature Boy Roger Kirby. Um, you know, do you know that I believe that Buddy Rose. No, he was Playboy, Buddy well, Rose. He, for a little bit, he went by Nature Boy. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, for not and, long, but he did. Yeah, there was somebody else that went by Nature Boy. Oh, I believe possibly that Adrian Street may have used I that think term so. somewhere. But so, you know, and then there Buddy was another Rose, Gordon. Buddy Rose Ford. was probably the greatest gimmick to never really make it. Yeah, what do you mean with the, with the body weight and shit? Yeah. I mean, it was over here's this three, four hundred pound guy. How a worker. To be a, how amazing worker. Amazing worker. Amazing. Like Adrian Adonis. Yeah, Adrian Adonis. But Adrian Adonis Same went thing. from this badass biker gimmick to adorable. Yeah. Because yeah, remember, he was supposedly the undisputed champion. Uh, he wore the NWA belt, I have the world it. belt, on, on Southwest Championship Wrestling. That's where he won it. Wow. Yeah, so, and guess what? Southwest Championship Wrestling was, it's weird because that was an AWA affiliate back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here they preached an NWA championship. So it was really strange. Um, and, and as you notice, that kind of just like went away. All of a sudden, what happened? I thought, Adrian, I thought he was, a, you know, Adrian Adonis was a, the champ. And then, yeah. you know, I don't know what, what that was about business-wise or whatever. Well, a lot of funny comparisons if you think about, well, what about this? Uh, Stone Cold? Who the fuck is that? Dr. D. David Schultz. Dr. Right. D. 
did one of the first vignettes they did was go in his house. It was like a trailer house, and he was abusing his wife verbally and his kid, abusing his kid at the, at the table. So what are you laughing at? I'll give you something. You know, I mean, it was pretty like for the time, it was kind of fucked up. You know what I mean? But if you remember, um, if you go back and watch an interview with Austin, Steve was talking about when he decided to do this Stone Cold gimmick. He went back and he watched Dave Schultz stuff, and he oh watched he did. Dave's I didn't know that stuff to get the way it was. Because I didn't know that. Stunning Steve. He was this big flamboyant with baby yeah. doll and everything else. And then when he made his debut in WWE with no hair and all that, and right, right, it, it was a complete 360 from when he was doing his USWA stuff from Mid South yeah. or WCW way back with the yeah, long from Pretty hair. Boy Hollywood right. Blondes, right. Which there's new Holly Blonde, Holly Blondes out now too. Yeah, yeah. And who do you know? So I'm going to tell. All right, let's go to that Hollywood Blonde. You know who the really original was? Oh uh, crap! Yeah, I do, and I can't remember. Buddy uh, Robert, one of them. And Buddy um, Robert was one of them. Um, let me think about this. Uh, wasn't Michael was Buddy Hayes? Wrong. Wait, remind me again. Who I keep got sidetracked. My dog's yeah, over I'm here. Trying. Who, who are we be, trying to? The, um, the original Hollywood Blondes. Well, oh yeah. Um. Oh wow. There's, there was three of them. Uh, Jerry Brown was one. Um, look, can you look that up real quick? The original, yeah. original Hollywood. There was, oh no, wait, there was a Love Brothers, Hartford original, right? That's different. But we're talking about the Hollywood Blondes. They were Jerry Roberts, three guys, three main guys. If you look up Jerry Roberts, you'll see probably um, the tag team mentioned. Uh, Curry Brown, Buddy Roberts. <sighs> Drive me nuts. Terry Brown, Bobby Roberts. Buddy, Buddy Roberts, right? Yeah, Buddy Roberts. Yeah, it looks like they were managed by, um, oh, what's his name? The guy with the long blonde, long red hair, Mid-South. Oh, uh, with the long, uh, Kurt Pringle? No, 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 no. Bobby Roberts, Terry Brown. Manager Brent you're talking Roger. about? Yeah. So they don't mention the three guys, three guys well, in there. It, it was Jerry Brown. And all they're mentioning right now is Jerry Brown has his weight eighty three. Okay. Rip Rogers, Ted Oates, Dusty Wolf, no. Ken Timms, Steve Austin, Brian Pillman. All right, so that's the, a lot of guys that were un- yeah, came under that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, there was. I think there was a Curry Brown. I have to go back to, to be able to find that. Ron um, McFarlane. Yeah, there was probably a lot of guys, but there were like three original key guys that you didn't see too many other places. They were always together, um, and that's how they made most of their their fame was gained under that. Jerry Brown uh, and Ron McFarlane were the Hollywood Blondes. Okay, doesn't mention anybody else from 1970 to 1977. They were. Uh, they, I knew the red hair. They were managed by Oliver Humperdinck. Oh, Oliver Humperdinck. That's what. Yeah. yeah. What did I say? I don't. I, <laughs> I think I said Humperdinck. Was it Humperdinck? I couldn't hear it. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I like that because that's stuff that always got me. Like I was, you know, this is a true fucking story. Ask Johnny Rods. I'm working at South Mountain Arena in West Orange. I'm 17 years old. I work at the arena. Just so happens, as I'm a fan, wrestling's coming to the arena. Here comes, now, I have, I, here comes Johnny Rods is coming through the thing. Now, I had a magazine. It had results from from California at the Olympic Auditorium. Java Rook wins America's title, right? So it had that picture of supposed Java Rook in, in one part of the magazine, right? right? Or maybe it was a separate magazine. I don't know. I see hemp State New York result, pictorial results. Johnny Rod. I get the magazine. It clicked. I go, what? What the fuck? I get the one magazine. I look. It says Java Root. I look at the other one. It says Johnny Rod. Same everything. And guess what? Java Root, Johnny Rod. J R. 
He could use the same fucking tights and everything. And he, see, as was very common back then, guys who were mid-card or lower here for Vince would be champions in NWA Hollywood, which was in the Olympic Auditorium. RI95171 is the number that's shown over the ring all those years. Mike and Gene LaBelle as promoters. And Java Rook was the America's champion there, but he was Johnny Rod's mid-card or less here. Well, he came through to shoot. I was up above and I hollered down, Java! Rook fucking spun around and he looked up and he cracked a smile. He saw me. He looked right at me. I mean, I hollered down. You know, I told him years later, I'm in a locker room. My corporate introduced myself way back. I know Johnny for years. He said, You remember some kid hollering from West Orange? He hollered, Job of Rook. He's fucking face dropped. He goes, That motherfucker was you. He goes, <laughs> he goes I'm thinking to myself, How does this fucking kid know? Because there was none of this shit. You know what they had? They did have one newsletter that was a con. Combat newsletter it was called, and it had like obscure shit and wrestling. Other than that, there was nothing. You had to wait for the magazine, and by the time it came out, the news was three months old. So it was it was completely different. You know what I mean? Completely different story. Um, but oh, what a world it was that I lived in. My childhood teenagers were lived in the black and white pictures of pro wrestling magazines. That's how I lived, you know. And it always held that for me. And you know, to this day, but that job of roof thing, he. he he laughed, man. And, you know, I was I knew the business already at that point, 17. I knew it was a work. My biggest thrill was when Freddie Blassie held the locker room door open with his foot and put my program on his Halliburton bag, metal bag, on his knee, propped up and signed my autograph. And he specifically held the door open and let me take a peek in there. And in those days, it truly was guys in their boxers, shorts, and various states of dress and undress, playing cards and smoking cigars. That's what the so, fuck. Andre, doing Andre the Giant stories were yeah. true. Yeah. That's what they were doing. And I'm going to tell you a story. I remember um, being in the hallway as a worker, watching the wrestling, calling Johnny Rods, and hearing a guy in the hallway, young kid, he was Davey O'Hannon's fan club, and he said, just want to show you this. It was a newsletter, early newsletter. You're in the top 20 in the world. And he was like 15 or something. And I remember that because I would remember years later, first of all, before that, I was a kid. I had a letter published in a wrestling magazine that, you know, years later, I was in the same fucking group of magazines. Yeah. So to be that little kid who sent in a letter, I was pissed off that, you know, didn't anybody mention, they keep talking about how Bruno lost the title to Koloff. Didn't anybody mention that right, really right after that, he won, he beat Koloff in a return match? I still didn't know. I still thought, we thought championship matches were a shoot and everything else was a work. Originally, that's what we thought as kids. We were convinced, right? Because you know what? Bruno would open up. He would cut his fucking forehead I remember, I'm jumping all over, but this is how passionate I am. I remember there was a match of him and Koloff, and Bruno has to bleed. And I remember discovering through VHS where you could slow down and freeze and seeing Bruno taking the fucking blade out. And what Koloff had uh, Bruno in the corner holding the chain and had his chest on Bruno, his foot on Bruno's chest. But when Bruno was trying to get the collar, he was trying to get Koloff's foot up on his head. So he's trying to slide Koloff's boot as boot Koloff's putting pressure on Bruno's chest. He's trying to pull the boot up so he can make the cut because now that he's not he's not covered or slooped over, he's upright in the corner and it's supposed to have color from the chain. So now he has to get it in full view. So he's trying to get the foot pushed up there to block that he's cutting his head. And you see him almost take the foot and replace it on his head. God's honest truth. You can look at it. You can find it. 
it was one of the, the and when I thought I was like holy shit I was like look at that yep and man was that a, a, a time of revelation you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I, and I, I can't say I was disappoint, disappointed because I kind of knew you know I don't think you can jump off of somebody who's uh, off the top rope onto somebody's throat with your knee and they're gonna get up <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> Which was how Koloff beat Bruno was the knee off the top rope. And if you read anything about that night, they will tell you that a complete silence of 22,000 people came over the crowd. Like you could hear a pin drop because Bruno's never been fucking pinned. He's already beaten Koloff. This is probably the third, fourth, fifth time. Who knows? Nobody expected it. Completely dead silence. They were in fucking shock. I remember the next day coming to junior high. So go back when that was. I don't know the year. But it was in junior high, so it was sometime between 72 and 74, okay? And I remember for the first time ever, I saw color pictures in a fucking newspaper of pro wrestling results from Madison Square Garden showing what Paul Valerius told me earlier that Bruno lost the title. And I said, no fucking way. And he brought in the, the proof in color in a newspaper wow. that, did not ex- cool. that did not exist back then. And you know? watching so, Wizard of Oz and you see color, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Mind blowing. You know, and it was like when you went to the garden on a Monday night once a month for wrestling, the whole fucking neighborhood was wrestling. If there's twenty thousand two thousand people going into that building, what do you think most of the street out there is who's there? It's all it's all fucking wrestling fans converging. So the same thing with Philadelphia when they had Spectrum wrestling yes. on Prism. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The same the Philadelphia equivalent. As right. is, you know, the Toronto Maple Leaf Garden is another WWF. You know, it was like almost separate territories with different announcers and everything. And and, and different rings. <laughs> different oh, rings. Yeah, completely different rings. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, and that's another thing. People used to say, fuck, do you... I, I go, they go, did you see that ring so-and-so? I, I said, yeah, that used to be, be, be belong to so-and-so. And they're like, how the fuck do you even know? You know the history of the fucking ring. I go, yeah. And I've gone places and examined rings because I designed them and built them. So I used uh, like four different plans to put a ring together um so you know I, I i know the business up and down i've sold all my seed money for any promotion i was running in the first person to run pro wrestling back in atlantic city after a 12-year absence four back-to-back sold out shows 1500 people so uh, outlaws of wrestling uh, we had magazine articles we were uh, you know uh, uh, we, all our uh, pro, you know um, our promotional stuff was done through um, just the trap so everything was out light boxes you know um, I had billboards my arm was on a billboard you know <laughs> going into Atlantic City I mean it was great the light boxes that they got all around the property that are like encased in glass outside with the coming attractions we were in there you gotta see the fucking poster for again all odds. That I was the first one who ever made a place that anything called against all odds. You know what it was? It was a playing card. The Queen of Hearts, Missy Hyatt, and Ace of Spades. Tommy Kyle with a bald head for the first time and chains and fucking you know heels. I, I thought you were going to say Phil Collins for a minute. Against all odds. <laughs> um, and you know we 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 really brought people something different that was like a hybrid of what I had been used to or exposed to at that point. I had been in Japan for UW 
he left. Um, I started a training center that was like a shoot style. We ran under International Fighting Network. I got from Rings Fighting Network. I like that idea. Um, I had a school. I had color posters made. Um, Mr. Voldy's wanted to come in there and run a camp. I ran them out. Manny Fernandez started coming down. I had, you know, it was nice. It was really nice. But the, the timing wasn't really that great. And I was like just starting to get into other other areas and get booked elsewhere. And it became less and less of an option, you know. Um, but we did run a few shows. We did really well. I bought you know, all name people in. And if you see the Outlaws wrestling, I can go show, read your poster in my room. You know, we were loaded. You know, from Buddy Landell, Manny Fernandez, Big Dick Dudley, John Cronus, the Pitbulls, Public Enemy. We had everybody, you know. And we had guys who thought we were the second coming. Like, they couldn't believe that. Here's what happened. The president of the Tropicana, Dennis Gomes. Dennis Gomes, he's dead now. I have been running the health club in 99 at the Tropicana, and he got wind that I was a promoter and a worker, and he came and asked me, why can't we do something here? I said, honestly, sir, I was waiting until my 90 days are in so that if things go wrong, you don't hold it against me, and I still have a job. (laughs) He's like... He's like, don't you worry about it. You tell me what you need and you got it. And, and it lasted, you know, it only lasted, you know, four shows. But that's because some pissy, prissy guy got his nose out of joint and didn't care about the business we were doing. Just didn't like big, sweaty wrestlers. Oh, and what he said to me, he goes, so what do you do? Like, wear little tights and stuff? I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, get this fucking guy away from me. How do you answer? Who wants to answer that question with a list, you know? So what do you wear? Like, little tights and stuff? I'm like, yeah, we wear tights. So, um, yeah, it's like, it's ridiculous. But here's what happened. I walked in, the first guy that I dealt with and was in accordance with us was giving up his spot to the gay guy who eventually phased us out after the original four shows that were run. Um, what the fuck? Oh, they, what they didn't realize was they went and gave, they handed me a boxing contract, okay? A four wall. So if you know anything about promoting or how casinos work, a four wall is basically, they're going to buy a discounted lot of tickets from you for what you hope to be the cost of your show plus some and then you're going to get some more you give them some off of each ticket but they're going to take a whole big block of tickets for a chunk of money and they're going to give them out to their high rollers and you're going to go down the night before and get like 20 20 grand at the bank and bring it up and make your envelopes up and give them to everybody when they come out like this is how the deal was it was so new and they took a boxing contract which of course because of the state of the nature of boxing that it's real guys would get four or five days in advance get brought in and put up and given food vouchers and vouchers for shows and everything with the hope that of course they would gamble their winnings or whatever the pay was but that was a fact um so you know uh it was it was done in ways that you know will never exist again so what they did was they took boxing crossed it out and put in wrestling and gave me the contract it gave me the guys in on a thursday for a saturday night show and guess what we co-featured with wwe wwf still at the time you can look it up you'll see it we ran a show with them running a a thing during the day on Saturday and then our live show at night. So our bifold, trifold, and all our promotional slick looking shit was done professionally by the people at the Tropicana and now had us on the same ticket as WWF. So, you know, yeah, we, we, we did a lot of cool shit. We honored Carl Von Hess, who with his wife up until 2000 or so owned Carl Lee Park, RV Park or Trailer Park, just outside just outside of Atlantic City, brought us to their house, signed 
original posters, which I have in my room, uh, took pictures with us, and we honored him and gave him an award at our show. And his family came, and they were completely blown away. They're like people acted as if you know he never did anything. He doesn't get, didn't get really any recognition. I'm more like, no, nah, we know who Carl von Hesse is. You know, and he legitimately had his name changed to that, you know, way back. Um, and he told us stories how they would sleep under the ring. So if they worked the town, instead of spending the money, they slept in their car, they slept in their, if they were in a bad part of town, they would sleep under the ring in the building. Just I to mean, watch the building in the ring. Yes. Yeah, I've heard those and, stories. You know, I mean, this guy could swim like the fucking, I don't know, he swam some ridiculous amount. Un, not unlike Lanny Popo, the old man, right, had a legit Legitimate, like, I don't know, 3,000 sit-ups in, like, eight hours or some shit. Like, legit. Like, um, you know, not Guinness Book of World Records, but what's the other one? Always around. And it was always thought, like, it wasn't legit, but it actually was. I can't remember what, what other governing body kind of thing, world record thing. But, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that people have no idea the kind of quality athletes they were. You know, and that's why I get pissed off when I see kids that don't even... How the fuck are you skinny fat? And you're, and you're working. I, I don't get it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, me neither. I agree. So, anyway, what else you want to know? Well, one more question, and then... Um... I Thank you. I got so much. I can tell you so many fucking things about so many people, you know, so anytime you want to ask me specific, you want to do a certain time thing, you right. let me know. We do a little, uh, you know, maybe getting together, collab a little bit beforehand so we get down yeah. to what you want. Because it's my whole life, man, you know. Trust me, I'm 41 and I know a lot about history of wrestling. Like, yep. I, like I, my friends here and I, I talk about down south and USWA and Mid-South and I mention names and they're like, who? Yeah. Not you, the other guys. Like, I can talk about, yeah. I can talk oh, about no. Brickhouse Brown and I can talk about... Oh. Iceman King Parsons and Percival yep. Pringle, Love Eric him. Embry. Like I, I love Eric watch, Embry. Right, so do big, I. big, huge Eric Embry fan. So Love am him. I. I. Grew up watching those guys when nobody else knew what USWA wrestling was. When exactly. like like we talk about who their favorite announcers are. I hear Joey Styles and all that. No, mine is Lance Russell. Yeah, Ed Whalen, Lance Russell. Yeah, Russell. Oh my! Yep. I, I loved USWA. And it goes back to, if you go back and you watch USWA, I want to say 87, 88, there was a guy there named Flex Cavana. Yes, that's uh, The The Rock. Rock. Right. Yeah. And it was just funny to see this skinny little 20-year-old Dwayne Johnson calling himself Flex Cavana. What's he, stupid fat? Skinny? Yeah. Oh, my God. He was so small. And then don't forget, when he first started WWE, The Rock sucked. That's what they they chanted. The Rock (laughs) sucked. You know why? They wanted a bad guy. And I mean, he is one of the greatest bad guys ever in wrestling. Yeah, but he wasn't going to make it. He wasn't going to make it with that shit back then, you know? Um, And And kind of like, that's what happened with Backlund. Right. Same with Taker. Yeah, go back w- and watch when um because Steve Austin's first match and Undertaker's first match were actually against each other in oh, USWA. Yeah, that's why I remember that. Yeah, it was Steve Williams because he was going by his real name versus Texas Red? Was he Texas Red? No, he wasn't Texas Red. He was like the peace, not the peacemaker. That's somebody else. He was something like the Renegade or the Terminator or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was something. Yeah, where we, he had his chaps on, and you saw the red hair, and you could tell it was him, though. Yeah. 
Because he was still yeah. wearing the Mean Mark Callis gimmick. Yep, yep, I know. All right, so. And, and it was um, funny, like, side story with him. And it was funny, when he made his debut in WWE, I'm like, oh, my God, I know this guy. And I'm like, that's wow. Mean Mark. Yeah. And oh, it was like, great who? To, it was great to discover. Oh, you want to know another um, double guys that were the same? Um, Kendo Nagasaki and uh, the great Kabuki. Well, then if you go in that room, you got Muda in there, because they pretty much had the yeah. same paint. Yeah, but, you know, two yeah, different guys in the same shit. You know, pretty much. Oh, I want to. I want to give you this, and then we'll finish off with a finish up talking about the twenty fourth. Um, I'm going to tell you something nobody knows. I'm sure nobody knows it but me. Ivor Koloff started out as Red McNulty. Okay, Red McNulty. Here's what you want to say: As Red McNulty, before the heavy, in the very beginning of the Koloff thing, he, he was still in the same state. Meaning, he had a eagle tattoo because he's an American. He had a giant <sighs> tattoo of an eagle as he transformed from Red. McNulty and got deeper into the Russian gimmick, he added a sickle with the point of the sickle going into the eye of the eagle with blood squirting out. Oh, that shit. is a true story. Oh, dude, that's okay, you tell, you tell me who knows that. That's a true story. You Because you can find pictures yeah. with both tattoos and it's clear in the end the tattoo is, I have a picture of me, I got him in at Boston Crab, I think, and you can see. Uh, I just found the picture. picture. Yeah, you can see it. He has like an eye patch or something. No, it's it's if you look at it, it's a sickle yeah. with the point going into the eye of the eagle. That's what it is. And in clear most clear ones you can you can definitely see that's what it is. So obviously he's an American. He originally had the eagle, which represents the United States. Yeah. But when he got heavily into the gimmick, he either said somebody's gonna he was smart enough to think or was into his gimmick enough. The same thing as Kurt Von has changing his name to, to that. That's taking your gimmick all the way and when you got to right. talk like a Russian your whole life and you really have a southern accent you know I think it helps that your tattoo now has a sickle going into the eye of the eagle <laughs> in, in 2019 it was 2019 or 10, right? I can't remember the last icons I was sitting there talking to Nikki Nikita Koloff right. and everybody's expecting I am the Russian man I am Nikita Koloff right. now Nikita was like how y'all doing you enjoying the con how's it going <laughs> And I'm like, like nobody realizes that Nikki is from South Carolina or something like that. that. That's like other people that are wrestling now. Nobody realizes that Jinder Mahal is from Vancouver, British Columbia. He's Canadian. I don't know. You know? So, but I mean, yeah. And you know what? Those are the the, the, the nice things that as a, a person sitting in your house by yourself, like my daughter just texted me today. What book do you want, Dad? What do I want? I want uh, the new the King of the uh, what is it? Uh, the new um, Buddy Rogers book, yeah. Master of the Master of the Ring. No. Um, the last couple books I got, man, fucking, I got Backlund's book for my wife. That's one of the best books I ever read about. I, I, I'm reading the, um... The JR book. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of JR. So. My, oh, hello. Me too. My girlfriend yeah. goes, Is that the guy from oh. Dynasty? <laughs> <laughs> Supposed to be. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, um, there's only a few. I, I'll end with this as far as my input. Um, Dynamite Kid to me, um, no, none better, okay? Um, what I mean by that is I don't think any single person has had a bigger influence on what the wrestling will ever be, is, was. That's how I feel. Just 
And not only that, um, he was a super human fucking person. And just like, you know, hey, Benoit was fucked up. I was trying to run my school and convince parents to plunk down two grand, three grand to have their kids trained in a business where they ate their own. And I wanted to put a lock on my fucking, you know what I mean? So, like, I understand, you know, but Dynamite Kid to me will never, ever be anybody who will ever influence any industry to the extent that he did and could pull it off. And you better hit him with a roll of something from behind if you want to take him out. Because I don't give a fuck how big your is you are. He's going to fucking right. give you a hard time. And, and you're his son's sleep. out wrestling, too. Those two kids? Tom, oh. Tom Billington Jr. Yeah. Well, dude, both of them. The cousins are both wrestling. Yeah, 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 brothers yeah, yeah. or yeah. cousins? Right, but... The um, young lad, yeah. Yes, yes. That kid, tell me he doesn't look exactly like Oh, my God. God. He looks like his father did in 85, I swear. Oh, my God. I'm like, I, I that's the single biggest thing in wrestling that, that I have seen that made me like, wow, look at well, this fucking kid. If you watch AEW this week, Brock Anderson made his debut. Oh, really? Arn wow. Son. And, I mean, he looks like Arn did when Arn was holding the NWA TV title in 87, wow. 88, something like that. Wow. But he's got the blonde beard and everything else like Arn did back yeah. then. And he's even, he's even wearing the shorts with the belt and the, right, right. the little button-down shirt nice, with the brown nice. shoes like Arn wore wow. back then. And who's the other kid that now? Who's that other kid now that's out there with somebody's? Oh, right, is it John Stud? John Studd's kid, no? Yeah, oh. Sean Studd. Sean yeah. Studd is right around here at MCW in Maryland Championship Wrestling. Yeah. And I mean, he awesome. looks like his father. Awesome. You can't tell me I'm not up on what's going on, no. huh? Yeah. But I... I can't help it, bro. You know, I only pick up. I'm selective, though. Oh, yeah, you know what I, I mean? I, there's On shit that, that I don't care less about, but there's other stuff that means a lot to me. Oh, I agree. Know? I definitely agree. But on that note, I think we're going to end there. Absolutely, because I go on forever, so we don't want to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank ready. you. And this has been the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I'm Dave Keener alongside D.B. Richards, and we'll see you in the <laughs> ring. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've been sitting here talking to ECW original, Eastern Championship Wrestling original, Iron Man Tommy Cairo. Thank you for coming on the show, Tommy. Hey, everybody. This is Iron Man Tommy Cairo for the 2300 Podcast.